You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. This has nothing to do with anything that I'm about to talk about, but I feel like anytime Brady uh, gets around broken cars, weird stuff happens. I have to, t- I have to tell y'all this. We were at Taco Bell two weeks ago. <laughs> And we was helping out this lady whose battery had died, right? And we're just doing it. We're both outside. And his food is on a table near the um, seat closest to the outside window. And we walk back in there, and there's a man sitting next to Brady's food. (laughs) I'm like, what's this dude plotting, right? And then I walk back out, and I'm like, hey, Brady, there's somebody sitting by your food. Do you want me to do something? (laughs) He says, yes. Of course, I walk in. And I look at the seat and see the man had just walked past me with uh, the bag of food. And I said, my man, he doesn't turn around. I said, my guy, he doesn't turn around. I said, my dude, he turns around. I said, did you just take his food? He said, no. What, what did he say? Did he say, I got it from the counter or something? Yeah. Like, he said, I got it from the counter. And so, yeah, Brady was at a broken car and he got his food stolen. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, let's see if I can... Gain some composure on that one. Zero went to bat for me, though. He got me, he got me pretty soon. <laughs> I tried, but there was also a lady who was smoking outside. Um, and she was like, hey, she went inside. She said, this nice man got his food stolen from him. You guys need to get him free, free food. I said, you go, sis. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm going to see if I can get through this. Um, I'm going to try to use holy words, too, if I get caught crying or something, but um, yeah, as you've been made aware, um, this is my last month here. I got until June 25th will be my last Sunday here. Um, so I want to share reflections on what God has done in me as a result of doing community with y'all for the past two years already, man. <laughs> um, When I first came to Knoxville, I was hearing language about abiding in Jesus around every corner. The main reasons for this are that both the ministry program I joined and my discipleship to Pastor Wes were highly focused on spiritual formation. This was all fair enough. I've been in church for a long time, so it's not like the language of abiding in Jesus was an unfamiliar concept to me. But what I've realized these last two years is that within me lies an ache to be impressive instead of a desire to be formed. In the past, my spiritual formation had mostly been about hours of Bible study, evangelism, obedience to my elders, and staying away from sexual sin. Lifestyles like generosity, hospitality, and communal worship were just, quite honestly, barriers to me achieving the level of spirituality that would appease my conscience do some good for the greater good, and set me apart as influential in the spaces I was in. I don't believe that all my previous attempts at spiritual formation were entirely selfish. Um, They were just feebly formed. For instance, when I lived in East Asia for two months, I shared with people there that Jesus saves and cares about relating to them, that the physical oppression they were subjected to was an affront to the kingdom of God. There was cost there. There was a belief in Jesus needed to sustain me there. And I was being formed in a way that helped me keep drawing from God and not just my energy and youthful optimism. Yet, 
my default was to rely on my capacity, my correctness and missional living in order to gain peace, that God was pleased, and that God was lucky to have me on the team. For me, performance became a substitute for a truly deeply formed life in Jesus. This reality did not only show up in evangelism and service, but also in my beginning days of activism, crying tears after the killings of Botham Jean, Atiana Jefferson, George Floyd, and others, only to receive the skeptical response of friends who said, well, what were they doing at the time? I felt unsafe, but determined to bring needed change to a town that held Tom Sawyer and Becky Thatcher competitions. And seeing my South American, my Asian and African friends get treated with the most patronizing of tactics, I could not be quiet anymore. As one who believes the pursuit of justice is a central part of spiritual formation, I was met with a response in college that hurt, it calloused me. It left me hopeless and sad that people I loved felt targeted by my invitations to a life of abundant equality. This was especially disorienting because I tried to do it by the rules and the interpretation methods of the school I was in. I traced the biblical narrative and tried to find some Baptist theologians who were talking about the gospel and radical expressions of liberation from within the church for the hurting and marginalized, marginalized in society. And the response, Marxists have invaded the Baptist world. During this period, I felt God check me the same way God did in my heyday of evangelism and mission. Abide in Jesus. Draw from Jesus. A question that kept prodding me was, Zeru, can you see your disappointment and rejection as instruments to help form you into the person Jesus has already created you to be? So when I came to Knoxville and in my initial conversations with Wes, he would listen intently and affirm my pursuit of knowledge, my desire to see systemic change in the church and the city. But pretty early on, he lovingly challenged me to consider a life that slowed down to trust God as the potter, the one who can catch me up on who I want to become and who I intend to become. And voila, I was launched into a world of Christianity that was eager to assess my emotional health, and I did not like it. <laughs> I didn't want to slow down. I wanted to push down my anger. I didn't want to share how I felt. I wanted to hide. Also, slowing down for me at that point was just an excuse to flee from the work of liberation, I believe, we're all called to. And then I learned something important. Most of my heroes embrace a contemplative Christianity. And that has changed me. Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer all are known for challenging oppressive powers, yes. But what their disciples knew to be true of them was their quiet and powerful relationship with God. Not to mention, Jesus modeled the life of a contemplative. When people wanted to crown him, he stole away to be with his father on the night he was arrested, he was with his father in the garden pleading. Jesus knew how to make impact without grasping for attention and desiring to be impressive. 
This relinquishing of grasping for power came first and foremost by embracing his identity as son of God. And for me, the call is the same to find myself in God's story, not as a machine to make the world better, but as a beloved child. This is where all of the Christian activities and sacrificial things I've been immersed in threatened to weigh me down with hurry and exhaustion and to come up for air was to breathe slowly and refuse to plunge back in right after slowing down my heart rate. I learned that performance and activity was focused on impressing others and performance in my spiritual life was determined to please God apart from the love with which God had already loved me. To be honest, I don't know if I have slowed down as much as I've wanted to in the last two years. As luck would have it, living in Knoxville would prove to unveil some of the greatest relational challenges of my life that I've tried to compensate for, familial difficulties and tragedies and spiritual purposelessness. I felt alone in Knoxville, and I've wondered at times if this life in Jesus, with Jesus, and for Jesus would ever feel natural to me. But while I have known heartache, embarrassment, and frustration, and feeling like I need to hustle my way out of it since being here, I've also known love. I've known a community that has taken a chance on me and listened to awful sermons, read experimental fasting guides, and endured my hour monologues that should have only taken 20 seconds to get to the punchline. (laughs) My time here has been filled with beautiful community. Um, Living with Ken and Nikki Norman, um, yeah, it's been healing for many reasons. more than I can express in this space. Uh, But we have so many fun meals and cherished times of storytelling, jokes, shared hopes and desires and belief that God's kingdom will come in Knoxville. Laughing with the Andersons, with the Evans in their homes, it's always lifted my spirits. Uh, Cooking the guys in basketball (laughs) will forever be a highlight of being in this community. And none of y'all can tell me different. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell this story about Wes real quick. I'm sorry. I didn't get, I didn't uh, put this through the filter when we was practicing, but there was one day before my energy ran out, I was hitting a bunch of threes, right? And so Wes starts to guard me and I hit two on him and I'm running around. I say, Hey Ben, I'm opening. Wes says, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> And that is, if you've ever seen Inside Out, that's a core memory. (laughs) Uh, They also have stories on me if you want to hear my lack of holiness on the basketball court. Um, Lord Jesus, where am I? Um, Yeah, I've I've also loved meeting up with my guys, Dayton for coffee, um, Kyle Pakel, uh, one of the funniest dudes I know, uh, one of the most generous dudes I know. And Andy, uh, where is this dude? Yeah, a lot of coffee, a lot of meetups at his and Melissa's house on Wednesdays during storytelling community and whatever that group has morphed into. We have, <laughs> we have, I found a lot of love from these guys right there. Um, and friendship with um, Joel and Ben particularly 
yeah, it saved me more times than I could count. On nights and days, I was feeling of little benefit to this community and this city. They've reminded me who I am. Um, when the jokes couldn't get me through difficulty, they were there for me. They've stuck with me no matter what and sustained me. And serving with and learning from Wes has been a gift of a lifetime. He's a friend who's taught me that Jesus is always worth coming back to and that Jesus is always coming to me. He's paid attention to my giftings and given me the resources to grow as a conversationalist, as a shepherd, and as a son. And all of the good things I've learned about emotional health and writing the last two years is a direct result of Wes's mentorship and care, and I'll never forget it. I'll truly spending that time. I can name the many ways the rest of you have blessed me. Jalen, we got Kaylin, we got Izzy, we got the whole crew. Laughter upon laughter for days. And joy. I've known joy with y'all. And I can name the many ways the rest of you have blessed me. But I want to truly say thank you, Mosaic, to all of you for propelling me toward abiding in Jesus rather than conforming to a Christianity of restlessness and constant effort with no divine filling. Your love for scripture is beautiful. Your service to each other and your family and your neighbors priceless. The testimonies I hear of conversations y'all have in your workplaces is encouraging. And the generosity of so many of y'all here towards me and towards each other, whether that's with the God, dang it, hold up. <laughs> towards me and uh, whoever has come in your way has been truly inspiring as y'all chase after God by listening to all the ways God has spoken to us through nature, through little children, through siloed voices of our city, and namely the voice of the divine within. Life in Jesus is full of sacrifice and a heart full of empathy. It is incensed by the death we see around us and the deceit of the devil. It is a heart that forgives those who fall back into the chair of divine acceptance. You will be challenged. You will be depressed. You will doubt. You will hide. But the invitation is to be known in all of those things and to still find yourself reciting Our help is in the name of the Lord. This gospel mosaic has shown me, preached to me, is that it is nothing less than Jesus reaching out to help us and tell us that it's okay when we haven't been perfect. And the gospel that we have been saved by is one that confronts us in our sin and warns us of our strong abilities to create great evil and conflict in our social lives. Daily we wake up in a world that wants us to cave into the selfishness that wants to make the story of the world subservient to our goals. But Jesus loves us too much to allow us to think that life is about us. So um, as I've shared this story, before I finish our time together, I just want I was asked to share a few remarks of what I've seen in you. And like Wes said, this is. A sort of ode to you, Mosaic. Everything you hear is what I've sensed from you, what I've gleaned from you. Now I've been impacted. You are a praying people. I've learned that most of abiding is done in the space of prayer, 
which, as we know, is dependence on God. Prayer, it's multi-layered. It's listening. It's requesting. It's adoring. It's believing. I love the wow, help, thanks model. That's, that's what it is. And whatever, that's what thankfulness is. Whatever type of prayers we participate in, whether corporate or personal, what's most evident to us in prayer is our vulnerability and need for God. It is a place where our fears are hashed out, our desires are expressed, our cries are lifted up, and our joys are made known. And in that labyrinth of our emotional states, we expect God in prayer to not hold out on us. Unfortunately, um, I've learned that knowing our need for God is not enough to disappear our greatest regrets and fears. But what Jesus promises us is life-giving companionship. If we're not careful to understand Christ's heart and his exhortation to remain in him, we'll be tempted to think that the crux of our salvation and life experience is contingent upon our innate ability to attach ourselves to Jesus. But what I'm learning to trust is that friendship with Christ creates in us the habit to remember what our lives are about and who they are to be lived for. If it were up to my wisdom prayers and service, I still wouldn't be strong enough to remain in Christ. And prayer is where I learned that as the branch, my only healthy position is in connection with the vine. Come rain, come sun. And y'all have shown me that. And I've also learned that prayer is not just about reliance upon God and service to God. It is centrally about friendship. It anchors us in the hope that God befriends us and holds us not expecting us to be anything but reliant on his grace and power to keep us. Over and again, as we navigate our faith, we have to ask ourselves if we enjoy the presence of God. For me, growing up, prayer was a way to exploit God's power. And now prayer is a way to know faithful friendship with God. I was talking to a dear friend a few days ago, and she said that it's amazing to her that Jesus never restricted Judas from eating at the Last Supper, that Peter's betrayal didn't forever cut him off from God's promise, and that Thomas's doubt wasn't answered with a petty, cold shoulder. On our pilgrimage to knowing God more deeply in prayer, an important step is that of embarrassing honest about our disappointment and our regrets like those disciples. When our prayers emerge out from the curtains we hide behind and we uh, are launching our request for success and comfort behind those curtains, I'm confident we will meet a friendly Jesus that has said, Peter, I've prayed for you. You are still worthy of feeding my sheep. Judas, I have loved you till the end. And Thomas, I get it. Feel my hands. This is what is offered to us in prayer. The empathetic response of a beautiful Jesus who refuses to let us go. Period. Sometimes we'll be eerily aware of his silence, but it is his patience to bring about our discovery of God's glory and the wonderful image with which we are created. And Mosaic, you have shown me these truths in prayer. The second thing I've learned about Mosaic is that Mosaic is a hopeful people. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs once said, optimism and hope are not the same. Optimism is the belief that the world is changing for the better. 
Hope is the belief that together we can make the world better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It needs no courage to be an optimist, but it takes a great deal of courage to hope. The Hebrew Bible is not an optimistic book. It is, however, one of the great literatures of hope. I just want to reiterate what Rabbi Sachs said. Being a hopeful people will include rejecting all the platitudes we use to try to dispel the tragedy we undergo. We have a savior much deeper than that. We have a tradition of ancestors who stood up in the face of evil and rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We come from a lineage of believers that attest to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the healing balm of the world and the motivator for our courage to stand no matter what confronts us. Is your sin and inner turmoil chipping away at your hope? Jesus is alive. This is the hope we have. Is your confidence that greed and corruption will be overturned, overtaken by citizenism? Jesus is alive. Though we may feel naive because of it at times, the gospel of Jesus must remain, as y'all have shown me, the message that enables us to stand. The precise evils that Christ's death came to undo lead us to hope because they remind us that tragedy It's not all that will be true of us. Glory will. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This promise puts our grief into perspective. This grief y'all have held me through. And it has the power to give us courageous hope. Not by denying the degrees of our pain, but believing God will reverse the curse of death and evil and has done so in the person of Jesus who has defeated death. Will we believe that hope will not put us to shame, that it will help us carry each other's burdens and to see each other and to love the world? The last thing I've learned from Mosaic Mosaic is that y'all are a welcoming people. Y'all are just good at this hospitality thing. It's obvious that I'm not sharing anything new here. But as I look across the message of the Bible, most of the encouragements written to the church have to do with continuing in the initial things we were first taught. Jesus' care for strangers and guests is central to the DNA of Mosaic. And I've been so blessed to witness the conviction we have to live this way and the countless stories I've heard of y'all actually doing so. So I've said, as I've said, my word is to continue. The more welcoming we become of others, the more we aware we become of ourselves and God's activity in the world. Sometimes that rubs up against our preferences and it exposes some of our biases. Hospitality does. But it also rounds us out as human beings. How many times have we heard it? The more we travel and the more perspectives we feel the less we can package the needs of the world into a small worldview. We need, Mosaic, a wide tent of relationships to join in on the mission of God. This spans socioeconomic, racial, political, and religious divides. We cannot, and y'all don't, isolate yourselves. And we've learned... Y'all have shown me that hospitality also means 
receiving it, being a host and being a guest. Hospitality, it, it is inseparable from prayer. Without being filled by God to pay attention to the needs of our friends or our spouses or our kids, we are left susceptible to the enemy's weapons of bitterness and resentment. They will remind us of all that we've done for the kingdom and how overlooked we've been. They'll make us forget that the reward for our service is not accolades. The reward is walking in oneness with Jesus. And sometimes seeing the fruit of living faithfully. That faithful fruit sometimes looks like transformed lives around us. People accepting the gospel of grace. And knowing unmitigated belonging and safety. Which directly contrasts to many people's prior lives experiences. I've seen y'all step into the fray of so many tragic circumstances. And seen people come out smiling. Mosaic. The hospitality of Jesus, it focuses our gaze and it never expects us to irresponsibly wear ourselves out. It opens us up to whom we give access to our resources and our homes. You have let Jesus guide you, beloved, and I've learned how to follow the shepherd's footsteps in these last two years. By the power of the Spirit, I know y'all will grow, y'all will continue, and I will be cheering you on as I have so been cheered on by you. Um, For real, y'all, thank you so much for loving me so well in my time here, for being great witnesses to the Lord Jesus. And please know I'll continue to pray for you all. I'm going to miss y'all. A hell of a lot. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for everything. And I have a bunch of love for y'all. Let me pray for us. Father God, it's in the name of Jesus I come before you. Thanking you for community. Thanking you for stories of transformation. Of hope. Of peace. of, Of welcome. That as our Savior, you have modeled for us what it means to do relationship well and healthily. And we come before you asking you for help. Not only just to energize us, but to sustain us, Father. We ask for your grace. We ask just for continual abiding in you, to always draw from you and never think we can do this thing on our own. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.